You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. We're looking at the book of Jude, and we'll begin reading in verse number 18. Jude, verse number 18. Jude, verse number 18, the Bible says, How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Verse 20, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And I am very excited about our missions revival. I'm excited about our mission Sunday. And I love this uh, time of year. Uh, I feel like that we can kind of take a step back and try to refocus and uh, get our eyes back on what really matters. And you know what really matters uh, not uh, how long the drive-through lines are, <laughs> although the drive-through lines are long, right? And uh, you know what really matters is not that your uh, air conditioning is, you know, set at seventy-four instead of seventy-three. You know what really matters? What really matters is souls and eternity, and to think that people that do not know Christ their eternity will be in a place called hell. And that's why we have a missions revival. That's why we put up flags. That's why we invite missionaries to come. And uh, that's why we make this the emphasis. But in reality, uh, this is why we're here. We're here every day, 365 days of the year. We are here to see souls come to Christ. Uh, Our Jerusalem or our mission field is right here in Roanoke Rapids and surrounding towns and our county and our state, but we can't be in some of these other countries. That's why we've got missionaries here, and that's why we've got a whole hallway filled with uh, prayer cards of missionaries that we support every month because we have got to get the gospel out before it is too late. So I'm excited about these next few days. I hope you plan to be at every service. I hope you pray for every service. I know you'll you'll be busy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you might just slip in just in time for church, but Maybe take some time at your lunch break or sometime throughout the day and just pray that God would speak to hearts and that we would be prepared uh, for these services. I'd like to preach this morning and I'll preach tonight on this same subject, but I'd like to look at the book of Jude. And by the way, as the children were being dismissed, I saw I didn't miss a first time visitor. Uh, Jennifer, my sister, slipped out with Rowan. And so he's here in church today, baby Rowan. And uh, we're sure happy for Caleb and uh, Jennifer and their new baby. The book of Jude, we see in verse number 18, I want you to see the the setting. It says that 
how that they told you, and we'll go back and read the previous verses, but it says, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time. I want to tell you, I do not know the day, I do not know the hour when Jesus is coming back, but I believe with all my heart, I believe it could be today. And because it could be today, we would have to agree that we are living in the last days. We are living in the last time. We are living in what I believe are the final moments before Jesus comes back. And it says that in the last times, there would be mockers. That shouldn't surprise us. Look at verse 17. It says, Beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they, they told us, they told us that there would be mockers. They told us there would be people that would laugh at the things of God and people that would profess themselves to be wise, but in reality, they have become fools. Can I tell you, it's the fool that hath said in his heart, there is no God. I don't know how you can live on planet earth and you can uh, uh, soak up God's sunshine and breathe God's air and drink God's water and you can have a, a body with a, 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 mind, with a brain and a heart and, and organs and cells and limbs and, and eyes and ears and mouth and, and all of that and you can believe that this is the result of an accident. I'll tell you, it takes faith to believe the Bible, but it takes a whole lot more faith to believe in evolution. I'll promise you that. We're not here by accident. We're not here just because of some big bang or some, some chance. We are here because we were created by a holy, almighty, all-powerful God. And because God created us, guess what? It means we're accountable to Him. We'll all stand before Him someday and we'll give an account for what He has given us. But notice verse number 14. It says, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers. Complainers walking after their own lusts. Uh, they're, just, they're just doing whatever they want to do. They're doing whatever uh, suits their fancy. It says, in their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. There are people today who, the, everything they say, it is all with the intention of trying to draw the praise of man, to draw the approval of man, uh, I'll tell you a great, a great example of that is social media. You know what social media is for the most part? It's people wanting to say things or do things to impress people. Well, I want to tell you, we're not here to impress people. We're here to impress God. And I understand we're sinners and I understand we're nothing without God, but we're not seeking man's approval. We ought to be seeking the approval of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ought to be living our lives so that everything we do is bringing glory to Him and making Him happy, not trying to make everybody else happy. The Bible says that these people would come. But notice back in verse number 14, it was prophesied that the Lord is coming back. And aren't you glad that Jesus is coming back? 
The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that when he comes, he will we'll meet him in the clouds at the rapture. That's to be caught up or to be carried away. And the dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive and remain should be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's part of the second coming when the rapture takes place and the trumpet sounds. But there's another facet to the second coming of Christ, and that is when Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation. When he comes at the rapture, he's coming to take us home to heaven. But when he comes at the end of the tribulation, he is coming to rule and to reign and to conquer and to judge. Notice what it says in verse number 14. He cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. I want to remind you today that our God is a God of love and our God is a God of mercy and our God is a God of compassion, no doubt about it. But I want to remind you, our God is a holy God and our God will not allow sin to go unpunished. You say, well, what do I do with my sin? How, how do I pay for my sin? Well, you have two choices. You can pay for your sin by spending eternity in a place called hell. That's the payment for sin. Or you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And by the way, uh, that's the better option in case you hadn't figured it out. You can pay for your sin yourself or you can let Jesus pay for your sin and he's already paid for it. He's already shed his blood. All you have to do is be willing to receive that payment and that gift of salvation. I want you to notice judgment is coming for sinners and Jude talks about the ungodly. He talks about, verse 16, the murmurers and the complainers and, and those who walk after their own lusts. But then we get to verse number 19. He says, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Now we talk about separation and normally we talk about separation in a positive light because can I tell you, it's still a good thing to be separate from the world. That was, that was pretty weak. It's still a good thing to be separate from the world. It's still a good thing to be holy and to be righteous and to be sanctified and set apart to God. Can I tell you, the world's getting worse and worse, but God's word has not changed and God's standard of holiness has not waned. But these, verse 19, it says, they separate themselves. There are People, and I'll just use for, for illustration, I'll use this side over here. I'm not saying this side over here is more spiritual. How many of you on this side over here, you know this is not an accurate representation of spirituality and world? Okay, just checking. But if, if this, were, this were where we are close to God and spiritually, there are some who were a part of this and they separate themselves from God. They separate themselves from holiness. And here's why, verse number 19, it says, because they are sensual. That word sensual literally means worldly. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy, there was a man who I believe was a Christian. I believe he was saved. He was a man that was a missionary, Brother Fry. He served with the apostle Paul. His name was Demas. And he was busy doing things for God and trying to please God. And then he separated himself from Paul. The Bible says that he departed from Paul. He left Paul because he loved this present world. Can I tell you, that's a battle that every one of us will face as Christians because the world looks good. 
Satan does a great job of advertising and Satan does a great job of deceiving and trying to convince you that if you will do what you want to do, you'll be so much better off. But what you don't see is you don't see the consequences. You don't see the price tag. You don't see the results. You don't see the heartache and the scars that come from sin. But these are sensual. They separate themselves from God. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2, says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So what are we supposed to do? We know there will be scoffers, and we know there will be ungodly, and we know there will be sensual people in the last days, but notice verse 20. Here is our answer. Here is our solution. Verse 20, Jude writes to the Christians, and he says, but ye beloved, and I'm thankful that he reminds the Christians that we are beloved. Aren't you glad that Jesus loves you? Aren't you glad that God loves you no matter what? And I want to tell you, you may be here today and you say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I'm worldly. I used to be over here and I used to love God and I used to serve God. And in my heart, I've gotten away from God. And in my heart, I'm not where I need to be. And maybe some watching, you say, I'm not even in church. And, and I could be in church and I should be in church. And, and I'm over here. And you say, what do I do? I'll tell you what you do. You get back to the love of God. You get back to a God that loves you so much and his arms are open wide and he, he pleads with you and he begs for you to come back home just like the father of that prodigal son. But I see in verse 20, it says, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and I pray that you would help us not to miss what you have for us. I pray that we would be attentive. I pray that our ears would be open. I pray that our hearts would be receptive. And I pray that you would speak to every one of us as we prepare for this missions revival. And on this Sunday, I pray that we would realize that the Great Commission is not just a responsibility of missionaries, but the Great Commission is our responsibility. It is our job. It is our task that you have given to us. Help us, Lord, to be, uh, be mindful of these things in this passage of Scripture today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What do we do in the last days? We're living in the last days. We can't fast forward the time. We can't rewind the time. We can't pause the time. But what do we do while we're living in the last days? Let me give you a few thoughts. Number one, I believe there must be spirit filling. Would you notice with me in verse number 19, it says those who separate themselves from God, those that are worldly or sensual, it says they have not the spirit. Now, verse number 20 says, however, that we as beloved, that we are to build up ourselves on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You see, you and I, if, if we're saved, and I know I'm saved, I don't know about you, I hope you're saved. Many of you have heard your testimony. But there may be some in this auditorium that you've never been saved. 
There may be some that are watching the service or some listening on the radio, and, and, and we, we talk about being saved, and, and you don't know what that means. Can I tell you, being saved is not synonymous with a church member. Being saved is not synonymous with, well, I've been baptized. Being saved is not synonymous with being a good person. Although, by the way, if you're saved, I think you ought to be a church member. And if you're saved, I think you ought to follow the Lord in baptism. And if you're saved, I think you ought to do what's right. And I think you ought to be a good person. But being saved is something that happens when you realize that you're a sinner. There's nothing you can do to get to heaven on your own. And you put your faith and trust in Christ and you say, Jesus, I am trusting you and you alone to get me to heaven. That's what salvation is. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus did all the work. All you have to do is be willing to accept it as a gift. But when you and I get saved, we receive at the time of salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. And I tell you, that's a wonderful thing. You may be going through some hard times this week, but can I tell you, you're not going through them alone because you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you 24-7. But then the Bible tells us here in verse number 21, it says that we are to be praying in the Holy Ghost. You see, you have, if you're saved, you have all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. He lives inside of you. But the question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Okay? Now, there was, uh, you've probably heard it before. I'll use it again. I think it's a great illustration. But there was a, a conference years ago, and they were uh, 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 talking about, and they were trying to figure out who they were going to have to preach at this conference. And one of the preachers spoke up, and he recommended D.L. Moody. He said, I think we need to have D.L. Moody. And one of the other preachers spoke up and said, well, I don't understand why we always have to have D.L. Moody. And he said, does D.L. Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit or something? And, you know, we're kind of frustrated. And the preacher answered, it was a very wise answer, but the preacher said, oh, no. He said, D.L. Moody doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. And I want to ask you this morning at Victory Baptist Church, if you're here and you've been saved, you have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have control of you? Is the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and are you yielding to the Holy Spirit every day? We're not going to see revival. We're not going to see people saved. We're not going to see this world reached for Christ until we first have a spirit filling. Notice with me, verse number 20, the Bible says praying in the Holy Ghost. As you read through the book of Acts, you know what you find? That the Holy Spirit's power always comes with prayer. So if you're here today and you say, I don't know if I have the spirit filling. Well, I'll ask you this. Have you been praying? Have you been praying and begging God and pleading with God for the power of the Holy Spirit? You say, well, I don't really need the Holy Spirit. I got it covered. Well, that's a scary statement. You might think you've got it all figured out and you might think you don't need the Holy Spirit, but I got news for you. We need the Holy Spirit every day. There's decisions you will make this week that you can't make them on your own. There will sit, there'll be situations this week you can't face them on your own. You won't have the strength. You won't have the ability. You and I must have the power of the Holy Spirit. But number one, I want to say this. There'll be no spirit filling until there's first spirit praying. Number two, there'll be no spirit filling until there is self-emptying. 
You know, the Holy Spirit can't fill you and control you and and, and have the power in your life that he wants to have if you are still full of yourself or if I'm still full of myself. I know I'll offend some of you on this one. I don't mean to, but it's just, it's an illustration. So don't get mad at me. Don't throw a songbook or anything. If you went to a restaurant and you uh, went up to the uh, the self-serve, the soda fountain, and uh, they had the containers there. They've got one container that says sweet tea. Okay, I, th- I thought we'd get a better response on sweet tea. Maybe I should have said they got Coca-Cola, you know, or something like that. But they got sweet tea and they got unsweet. Well, somebody got it mixed up because you wanted sweet tea. You stuck your cup under the sweet tea and you got it filled up with unsweet tea. And you go back to your table and you take a drink of it and I use a straw. I know some people say that you shouldn't use a straw and, you know, you got to drink. How many of you use a straw? Let me see your hands. Okay. So you stick the straw in, you take a big old gulp, and you're expecting sweet tea, but it's unsweet tea, okay? Now, I understand. I, I understand. You don't have to tell me after church. I don't need a lecture on this. I know unsweet tea is better for you. I understand that. But let's be honest. It tastes terrible. And especially, especially when you're expecting sweet tea and you get a big old gulp of unsweet tea, okay? So now you got a problem. Your cup is full of something that you don't really want to be in there, right? And so you go back up to the soda fountain and you go to the the dispenser and you figure out, okay, they got it mixed up. So you stick your cup under the sweet tea dispenser and you just start pouring that sweet tea in but your cup is already full of unsweet tea. Now, I got news for you. That's not going to work. First of all, they're going to kick you out of the restaurant for making a mess all over their floor because tea is going to be going everywhere. And you're not going to be able to get the sweet tea in the cup until you get the unsweet tea out of the cup, right? Now, it's amazing. It's amazing how complex. It's amazing how deep it gets you know, in here on Sunday mornings, isn't it? But what do you got to do with the unsweet tea? You got to empty it, right? Preferably not on the floor, but you got to empty it. And once it's empty, then you can fill it with the sweet tea. Can I tell you why the Holy Spirit can't do a whole lot in some of our lives? It's because we're so filled with ourselves. We're so filled with pride. We think we know it all. We think we've got it figured out well, you know, I've been married for this many years, or I've been working this job for this many years, or I've raised children, or I'm, I know I've got this figured out, and I've sung in the choir, and I've been a Sunday school teacher, and, and, all, and the list goes on and on. Uh, I've heard, the, I've, I haven't heard this, I've, I've thought this before. I think sometimes as a pastor, I think sometimes I could think, oh, I don't need the Lord. I, I, I've been pastoring for, you know, seven years. I've been in the ministry for 20 years. I got it figured out. Watch out. Pride goeth before destruction. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You and I, we can't make it without the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we act like we don't need him. Number one, there'll be no spirit filling without spirit praying. Number two, there'll be no spirit filling until there's self-emptying. Number three, there'll be no spirit filling until there is sin confessing. You know, the problem with that, that cup of that unsweet tea, you can pour that out and you can fill it up with sweet tea and you'll be okay. But can I tell you, if you get a cup and you look inside that cup and there's some nasty stuff in that cup, there's some dirt or there's some grime or there's a, there's a dead bug inside that cup, can I tell you, you're going to have to get that thing cleaned out. 
And can I tell you, the Holy Spirit is not going to fill a dirty vessel. The Holy Spirit is going to come and fill a vessel that has been clean of sin and sin that has been confessed and a heart that is right with God. A Spirit-filled life is a Spirit-empowered life. A Spirit-filled life is a Spirit-led life. And a Spirit-filled life is a Christ-centered life. I want to ask you this morning if we're going to live in the last days and we know that in the last days things are going to get worse and worse. I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but if you're looking at politics and you're looking at current events and you're looking at the Middle East, I think it's going to get a whole lot worse. If you say, well, you know, if we can just get through this, can I tell you, if we can just get through this, there's going to be something bigger and something worse and something scarier. Our eyes cannot be on this world and what's going on down here. We better get our eyes on Jesus and we better get spirit-filled if we're going to live in the last days. Number two, I see not only a spirit-filling, but I see there must be a self-examining. It says in verse number 20, it says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves. Verse number 21, it says, Keep yourselves. Now, I want to make it very clear. It says that we are to build up ourselves on our most holy faith. We're not building ourselves by ourselves. We're building ourselves with the power of God, with faith in God. Verse 21, we're not protecting ourselves by ourselves. We're doing it because of the love and mercy of God. But here's the point I'm trying to make is that if you're going to build your life, and if I'm going to build my life, we're going to have to do it ourselves through the power of God. For instance, if I'm going to, uh, and, and I, I, I don't do this, but if I was going to um, decide, you know, I think, I think I'm tired of, of mowing my lawn. And by the way, sometimes I don't mow my lawn. Sometimes my wife gets out there and mows it and she loves it. And I always tell her, let me do it, but she loves to do it. Uh, but I don't mind doing it. But if I got to the point where I said, you know what? Oh, I, can't, I can't handle this anymore. I'm gonna have to call somebody. I have to pay somebody to come mow my lawn which we're not doing that. We've got children, right? We're going to have these children mow the lawn. But, uh, but if I got to that, I could, I could subcontract that out. I could hire that out. I could say, you know, oh, boy, I need, to get my, uh, I need to get my oil changed. Uh, and so, I, and I do, I don't do my own oil change. I take it somewhere. I, I'm going to pay somebody else to do that. But you know, I can't pay somebody else to be a dad for my kids. I can't pay somebody to be a husband. I can't pay somebody else to be a man of God that I need to be. Can I tell you, sometimes I think we try to get everybody else to figure things out for us, but when it comes to our spirituality, that's up to you. You're going to have to walk with God for yourself. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to get in the Bible. You're going to have to be spirit-filled. I can't do it for you, and you can't do it for me. You must do it for yourself. You must put up some guards in your life. The Bible says to keep or protect yourself. You've got to put up some fences. You've got to do some self-examination. Ask God to show you some things in your life that need to be fixed. And I promise you, if you'll ask God to show you, He will. If you'll go home this afternoon and take a pen and paper and have your Bible there and just get alone with God for a few minutes and say, God, would you show me some things that need to be fixed? He'll show you. He'll speak to you. There might be some friends that need to be changed. There might be some relationships that need to be changed. There might be, need to be some things you watch on television that need to be changed. 
There might be some, 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 some words that you use in conversation that need to be changed. There might be some attitudes that need to be changed. There might need to be some habits and some hobbies that need to be changed. But if you'll ask God, he will show you. I went a few, a few weeks ago now, I guess maybe a month ago, I went to the doctor just for a checkup. Everything was fine, but I don't like to go to the doctor. Uh, I don't like to go to the dentist. Um, I do it, but I don't like to. I went to the doctor. He said, why'd you go to the doctor? Well, after my wife's been telling me for about three years I need to go, I finally went, you know. And, uh, and aren't you, fellas, aren't you glad for a wife that cares about you, right? Amen, you know, amen. Um, I'll leave it at that. But anyway, I went to the doctor. Everything was fine. It was just a checkup. But I'm telling you, I was amazed. When I got the printout from, you know, blood work, and, and, and by the way, everything's fine. I just, it was just preventative, make sure everything, there, make sure there's not any problems or anything. And, um, and I got the printout of all these things. I mean, this is pages and pages, and this level's good, this level's good, this level's good. And I'm thinking all of this, they can tell just from your blood. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing what we will do for our physical checkups, and I think we should. But when was the last time that you had a spiritual checkup? Say, well, pastor, it's been a while. When are you available? I'm not. I can't give you a spiritual checkup. That's between you and the Lord. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. That's why David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be any wicked way in me, David said, please, God, lead me in the way everlasting. There must be a self-examining. I'll give you one more thought from the book of Jude, and I'll finish tonight. It says in verse number 22, it says, and of some have compassion, making a difference. I believe number three in these last days, and as we are preparing for our missions revival and missions emphasis, I believe number three, we're going to have to be soul conscious. And what I mean by soul conscious is that we are aware all the time that there are people that don't know Christ. There are people that are not saved. There are people that need to hear the gospel. Notice verse number 22. It says compassion that some have. That is what makes the difference. And then it says in verse 23, there are others that save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Compassion makes a difference in you and compassion makes a difference in others. I have here, and I, I, I'm sure there are others that do this, but I have this in front of me because this took place yesterday, and I was uh, so encouraged by this, but I have the wedding program from the wedding yesterday with Garrett and Taylor, and uh, the front, just beautiful, it's got the date, it's got their names, the inside, it's got the list of all the wedding party, and then it's got the order of the ceremony. The entire back of this program is the plan of salvation. And we, we, didn't, we didn't say, hey, if you're going to have the wedding, you got to have We didn't say that at all. We didn't tell them anything that had to be on this. But you know what they said? They said, we want everybody that comes to our wedding, we want them to know, number one, that we're saved, we're, we're, we've trusted Christ, but we want them to know how they can trust Christ as well. Now, can I tell you, weddings can be stressful. There's a million and one details and planning, and preparing, and cooking, and decorating, and invitations, and the list goes on and on and on and on. But you know what was on their heart? On what I would consider probably the biggest occasion or event, obviously outside of a spiritual thing, but although a wedding is spiritual. But you know what was on their heart? Compassion. 
We want to make sure people know Christ. We want to make sure that people can be saved if they don't already know. Matthew 9, 36, the Bible says that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. You say, Pastor, I don't, I don't have compassion for people. Well, I'll tell you, if you'll get out and you'll see people and you'll see their needs, you'll get a burden. That's why we have our missionaries that come and they show the videos and they show their presentations. They, they show that there are people in other countries and in other parts of the world and they don't know the truth. They've never heard the gospel. We've got to see it. Luke 10, the Bible says the good Samaritan, when he saw the man who had been beaten and robbed and left for dead, the Bible says he saw him and he came to him and he helped him. He bound up his wounds. Well, I tell you what, that's messy, right? This guy's been beaten and bloody and left for dead. And this guy comes in, the good Samaritan, and he, he helps him and he cleans his wounds. He puts him on his donkey and he takes him to a place and he tells the innkeeper, he says, hey, I want you to take care of him. I want you to feed him. And whatever it costs, he said, when I come back, I will repay you. You know what compassion is? Compassion is, is a feeling. It's an emotion. It's a burden. But compassion is also giving. Compassion is acting. Compassion is doing something about the needs. The Bible tells us in Luke 15 about the father of the prodigal son that when his son was yet a great way off, the father saw him coming and he had compassion on him and he ran to him. You know, that's the way it ought to be at church. When people have gotten away from God and people have sinned and people have backslid and people have made decisions that were not according to the Bible and they come back, they ought to be welcome. We don't, we don't condone the sin. We don't justify the sin. We don't act like the sin never happened. But we show them the love of God and we welcome them back with open arms. That's compassion. And can I tell you, if we're only going to have in our church the perfect people, then we all better leave right after this. Because can I tell you, we're just a bunch of sinners that have been saved by the grace of God. And aren't you so glad somebody had compassion on you? I'm glad somebody had compassion on me. Verse 23, I'll close with this. It says, and others save with fear. That word fear is literally dread or horror. You see, we preach the love of God and some people when they hear about the love of God, when they hear about Jesus dying on a cross and shedding His blood to pay the price for their sin, there are some people that respond to the love and the compassion and the sacrifice of Jesus. But then there are some, I don't know why it is this way, but there are some who don't respond to the love of God. There are some that need to be reminded that if they don't trust Christ, they will spend eternity in hellfire, in damnation. That's what verse 23 says, literally pulling them out of the fire. Now I'll tell you, if I didn't believe in hell, I wouldn't be up here preaching it. Maybe I think sometimes people think, oh, maybe some preachers got together and said, hey, this would be a good thing to scare people into doing what's right. You know why we preach about hell? Because Jesus preached more about hell than he ever did about heaven. We preach about hell because hell is a real place. Just as real as heaven and just as glorious as heaven, a hell is as dreadful and as awful, and I'd never want, I wouldn't want my worst enemy to go to hell. And you shouldn't want your worst enemy to go there. But some need to hear and some need to know that if they don't get saved, there is terror and there is fear and there is torment forever and ever. 
You say, well, I just don't believe that a loving God would ever send people to hell. I've told you this before many times. A loving God never sends anybody to hell. We send ourselves to hell when we reject a loving God. When we refuse to accept the payment that was made on Calvary. Jonathan Edwards preached during the Great Awakening of our nation. And the sermon that he preached that we often talk about is, was a sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He preached that sermon and he, he read his sermon in monotone. He wasn't screaming, he wasn't spitting, he wasn't stomping, he wasn't hitting the... He was just reading it in monotone the whole service. The power of God fell on that service. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit, people had been praying for months and months for God to do a work in their area. And as Jonathan Edwards, as he described sinners, he described them as, as people hanging over the flames of hell with nothing but a spider's web holding them up. And as he was preaching, people began to cry out in their seats and people began to repent and people began to get saved. Can I tell you? There ought to be some compassion in us to make a difference. And there ought to be some commitment from us to say, I'm going to warn everybody I can before it's too late. But we're living in the last days. I believe our time is short. And I believe whatever we're going to do for Christ, I believe we better get busy. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.